You are listening to the Life Church podcast. To learn more about Life Church, our gathering times at any of our central Indiana locations, or our Life Crew online, visit us at lifechurchin.com or follow the link in the description. Today's talk is from Pastor Nathan Peternell. Today, we are picking up on a portion of scripture that we kind of left off with last week. If you're new with us today, I just want to say welcome. Life Church, can we say welcome to our guests? Isn't it great to have them in the house? Let's make them feel warm and welcome. You are, you are here because we prayed you in. Yesterday there was a prayer team walking all over this place, anointing every, every uh, chair with prayer, believing that God was moving people in to, to, to give them a word. Now, we are expository preaching church. That means that we just take a book of the Bible and we work through it, and we, and, and we work verse by verse, chapter by chapter, and when you get to the end of that, we believe the Holy Spirit's teaching his people what they need to hear. Here at Life Church, the preachers don't pick the diet for the people. The Holy Spirit sets the diet by his word, and we just kind of go, what's up next, Lord? And that's how we do it. So we're in a story today that revolves around this guy named Absalom. And Absalom is the king's son, King David's son, and, and he has been severely wounded because of the rape of his sister by an older brother that was a half-brother to him. He raped his little sister. There's this incredible offense as a result of that offense, and nothing was done by King David. Dad doesn't, doesn't put justice into play. What happens then is that this anger and hatred builds up in his heart for two years. Two years later, he invites his brother to come to a, to a meeting, and he has his brother assassinated. That He was the oldest brother. He was the heir to the throne. Well, now that he's dead, now everybody's looking and going, well, who's going to be king? Because this young man takes off. He takes off running for his life. He's scared of what's going to happen to him. So he runs across the Jordan River into the land of Gesher, where he is the king's grandson. And he stays with his, his, his grandfather for about three years. And his dad, who's the king of Israel, never comes over to go looking for him or getting him back. But there's a peacemaker in the family. His name is Joab, and he's not the most likely of peacemakers. He's actually the commander of the army, and he recognizes if we don't get this fixed down the line, there's going to be a civil war. We've got to get this fixed. And so he devises a plan, this, which was last week we talked about this, the wise woman of Tekoa, to tell a story to the king to say, are you going to do justice? Are you going to, to bring the exiled one back? And it was a story about her life, but whenever she, he heard it, he made a judgment. And then she flipped the story on him and says, what about your family? What are you going to do about the young prince that's over here? And so he goes, okay, he's got to be brought back. He, he's, he brings it back, but where we left it was that he does not bring him back to his heart. He brings him back to the city. And then he kind of leaves him there. Yeah, you're not in exile in a different land, but you're in exile right here in your own kingdom. So let's pick up in verse 25. And in all of Israel, there was no one as handsome as Absalom. So highly praised from the sole of his foot to the crown of his head, there was no defect in him. Now this is the young man Absalom who right now has been brought back into, into Israel. He's 
on house arrest, basically. He could go to his own house, he just can't see the king's face. The king understands he should be brought back, but doesn't go as far as, we're going to fix this. We're gonna, I'm going to restore him to my heart, even though the king loves him. And this young man is incredibly handsome. Of all the people in Scripture, when it talks about their beauty or their handsomeness, this young man may be up on the forefront, top three, easy. And in Israel, he's probably the most handsome man that has ever, uh, has ever been known. There's no defect in him. Calvin Klein, eat your heart out. Okay? Sometimes with good looks, there's a burden that comes with good looks. I know a lot of people think, well, if I was just more good looking and, uh, you know, that'd be a great problem to have. But in truth, uh, my dad said this of my sister. I have a beautiful sister. And he said, oh, Donya, he says, you're beautiful. And that might be a problem to you. She was just a teenager when he said it. Beauty and handsomeness is a burden to bear. Any gift that we are given, if we make it our identity, rather than it just being something the Lord gave us, that, hey, let's use it for his glory. Do you know you can use good looks for his glory? You can use anything for his glory. If you use it for his glory, it'll turn out well. If you use it for your glory, it'll not go well for you. Because pride is a very big thing to battle. Don't forget that it, what was Lucifer's great problem whenever he has his rebellion against God is that he was incredibly beautiful. And there's that natural inclination to want to get glory for yourself. I look at all the talented people in the world and I think, wow, what if they would use their talent not for selfish gain, but for who it was meant for? That voice, that ability, that charisma. What if they used that to bring glory to Jesus? but they don't. They use it for themselves. And this man had a, you're going to see that pride is at the core of his weakness. When he cut the hair of his head, it was at the end of every year that he cut it, for it was heavy on him, so he cut it. Now get this. He weighed the hair of his head. Okay, first off, who does that? Somebody that's got an issue, right? But he weighed the hair of his head, and it weighed in at 200 shekels by the king's weight. Now, I figured out how much weight this is. This is five pounds of hair every year. His body is so healthy, there's no defect in it. Listen, I, I was interested. I was getting my hair cut the day I was studying for this. And I said to the, the young lady, that I said, can I ask you a question? I'm, I'm, I'm doing some biblical research. She goes, sure. I said, how much is five pounds of hair? She says, I've never seen it. She said, I have, I have had people in here who have the, the longest, thickest uh, amount of hair that I've ever seen. And I promise you, it's not five pounds, maybe three pounds. Five pounds of hair next to Samson, there's no one else that's known for his hair like Absalom. Five pounds of hair. Cuts it, weighs it. It's a big deal. Everybody, I cut my hair. 
to Absalom. Now we find out he has three sons. He has one daughter whose name of all names would be Tamar, just like his sister. He loves his sister so much that the one that was raped, that when he has a daughter, he names his, his daughter after his sister. He is a guy that does absolutely love. And he would have been looked at probably as very loving by some of the people in his life. Three boys and one girl. By the way, that's where I come from. That's, I'm, I'm the third boy of three boys and one girl. Later, we're going to find that Absalom has no sons and that he builds a monument to himself because he had no sons. What does that mean? We won't get there till later, but let me give you a, a clue. It means his sons died. What happens to you whenever you experience the loss of a child? One child alone with a healthy family. There's a lot of families that don't make it through a divorce after the loss of a child. What would it be like to lose three children? There's something going on in Absalom's heart through the course of his life where he's experienced wounds, griefs, wrongs, losses. And then we see that he lived for two years in Jerusalem and did not see the king's face. So let's get this right. There was two years between the rape and the murder. And then there were three years that he ran off and lived in Gesher before he was brought back. That's five years since the date of the wound. Three years since the date of the wound that your dad didn't didn't come and, 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 and bring you back. So now, and then we're going to add two years, seven years of pain for this guy. Seven years of, of not coming back to the Father's heart. And I really, I, I love David, one of my most favorite people in the Bible, but David is screwing up. He is blowing it. And I, there's part of me that goes, come on, David, get your act together. But then there's part of me that understands that being a father is a very difficult thing to do. How many have ever heard of generational curses? Generational curses are those things that continue to follow us in our lives. If we, if, if we can't identify where the curse is coming, the Bible says the sins of a father are passed down to the third and the fourth generation. If we can't identify the problem, how then will we go to get healing to fix it? How do you counter an unbiblical belief? You have to counter it with a, it is written belief. That's how you fix things. That's how you grow in your, word, in, in, in your walk with God. You have to keep identifying what's broken. It doesn't look like Jesus, and now we're going to apply Jesus to it. And then we'll get healing. And a lot of men have not gotten healing in their own lives, and then whenever they're put in the position of leader of the family, they don't know how to offer that healing to their children. I was talking to a a man this week, his, his daughter is very wounded. And I just love this young lady. She's had some wicked things that have happened to her from her biological dad, and, a, and, and, and now she's being raised by her stepdad. And her stepdad, is he, he loves the Lord. He's a good guy. And yet the problem is, is that she needs this father figure to help her to heal and he doesn't know what to do. He's trying. 
He, he, doesn't, he doesn't know what to do. And she, I, I really believe by the Holy Spirit, she said, I need him to be softer. I need him to tap in and show me some emotion. I don't get any emotion out of my dad, which a lot of us could say we didn't get a lot of emotions out of our dads. My, my mother told me that only one time in her life did her father ever tell her that he loved her. I have been told that I have been loved by my parents every phone conversation of my life. My mom and dad were trying to counter something that was wrong in their family. They were, they were trying to bring back healing. There is emotion that women need to feel from men. A softness. It's not that you have to be a baby. It's just there's a softness that that heart needs to feel, especially daughters need that. The women in our life need that. That's why it's not weakness to show emotion, gentlemen. We have to let them into our hearts. And this, I'm, I'm watching this guy, and this guy says, I've got issues in my own life. There's a lot of people that are telling me through the course of, of these, this series that stuff is coming up in their hearts as a result of, of, of the preaching of, of, of this passage of Scripture because we're talking a lot, about, a lot of family wounds. And all I'm asking you to do in your brokenness is just admit you're broken. This guy says, I need healing. I, need, I, I didn't learn certain things from my dad. I just don't know how to move forward. I've got some father issues. And he goes, but I want to learn. Boy, if that was a heart of all of our men, Imagine the healing and restoration that could be in this house. Because our kids need us to get healed so that then healing can flow down through authority. It's tough to be a dad. David's blowing it. Does not allow Absalom to see his face. And Absalom sent for Joab, the guy who played peacemaker, to bring him back, and he sent him to the king but he would not come to him, and so he sent again a second time, but he would not come. Joab, you're the one who brought me back here. You're the one who played peacemaker, and I'm back here in Israel, but I can't see my dad's face. Hey, I need you to come. He's kind of on house arrest. He doesn't have the freedom to travel anywhere that he wants to. That's probably why he doesn't go to Joab. He asked Joab to come to him, and Joab's not doing it. So in verse 30, therefore he said to his servants, see Joab's field is next to mine, and he has barley there. Go set it on fire. So Absalom's servants set it on fire. Now, sometimes to get our attention, God has to set our fields on fire. Have you ever had that happen in your life? It's not pleasant, but it does get our attention. And Absalom... He, he ordered people to kill his brother, and they did it. He orders people right here to burn his neighbor's field down, and they do it. They just seem to say yes to this guy. Of course, he is the prince. And so he destroys in order to get attention. People are willing to carry out his violent and destructive commands. So he lights the field on fire. Verse 31, Joab arose, and he came to Absalom at his house, and he said to them, why has your servant set my fields on fire? And, Joab, and, and Absalom says to Job, you didn't return my texts. 
I needed an audience, and you didn't return my phone call. Absalom answered Joab. He says, listen, behold, I sent for you, saying, come here, that I may send you to the king and say, why have I come from Geshur? It would be better for me still to be there. Now, therefore, let me see the king's face. And if there is iniquity in me, let him put me to death. Now, I think he has convinced himself when he killed Amnon, his brother, he did the right thing. And I think there's been a lot of people that have reinforced that and said, listen, we couldn't have a rapist on the throne, especially an incestuous rapist. You knocked him off, good. I have a hard time not feeling that way in my own heart as well. You know, a lot of times when people go through a wound and then they start wounding back, we tell them, you have a right to be wounded. You go ahead. I think that was appropriate. We validate people's victimhood. And I think that's dangerous. He's kind of saying this to Joab. Look, I don't think I did anything wrong. And if I'm not to be restored, why'd you bring me here? I had more freedom when I was living with my grandfather. And... I want to see the one who has the power to determine whether I live or die. That's the king. If he thinks I've done something wrong, let him kill me. If he finds wrong in my action, let me die. I think he believes he's really not done anything wrong. We have a tendency in our life to blame other people for our woes, don't we? Don't you hate that whenever you see that in America? You're like, hey, we've all been wounded. Suck it up, buttercup. Let's heal and keep moving. And yet many times we get stuck in our wound and everybody tells us, oh, you have a good wound. That's a fair one. Well, that's maybe not wrong to hear that, yeah, you're wounded. We get it. But then where do you go from here? Do you just languish in hatred? And, self, and, and, and selfishness, and you're just going to keep an attitude of unforgiveness? Or where are you going to go with this thing? That's the better question. I want to see my dad. Notice he calls him the king, not his dad. I want to see the king, because I think he doesn't have any kind of relationship with his dad. He just, you ever see people that call their parents by their first name? I always shudder. I'm like, oh! I'm thinking, I know what would happen to me if I called my mom Kathy. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> That's a death wish. <laughs> so when Joab came to the king and told him he called for Absalom, thus he came to the king and prostrated himself on his face to the ground before the king, and he kissed Absalom. Now that looks like a good thing. It looks like, he says, his dad receives him. He lays down in humility. His dad picks him up, kisses him. It seems to be a restoration. But the only problem is the rest of the story tells us that that's not really a restoration. I don't believe that Absalom is truly repentant, and I think he's going through the motions of humility. You get the semblance of restoration without really the whole work being done. And forgiveness is hard work. 
Forgiveness is something that is a deep down thing. It's not a one and done. It's something that we have to kind of continue to come back to because because the enemy likes to drudge it up again. And you have to keep saying, no, I choose to forgive. And if you don't keep going through that work, that's why Freedom Conference is so important. Listen, God's taken you out of Egypt. That's awesome. Now he needs to take the Egypt out of you. You got to go through a process. And most healing is process-based. Lots of steps of healing. It looks like everything here, but I, I want to tell you, from what I know of this young man, I'm going to tell you some things about his spirit. This is called the Absalom spirit. Maybe you've ever heard, how many have ever heard of the term, that person has a Jezebel spirit? Okay, so what you do is you take the character, you look at the various things that you see them that have happened to them, and then what they do, and this is where we come up with these concepts. Maybe you've heard of a python spirit that the Bible talks about, or an Ahab spirit. That's all I'm going to do with this. This is, this is what I glean from my study about what, what is an Absalom spirit. And be careful, because in the end of this story, you're going to know that Absalom leads a rebellion to take away the kingdom from his dad. This is going to be a terrible way this young man goes. We've, we've seen the making of, of, a, of a bad guy. We see the making of a villain. But I want you to see what's in his heart. Number one, it starts with a victim's, or it starts with a, with, with a wounded heart. He has a wounded heart through something that was real. Should have been dealt with and wasn't. Number two, he gathers victims to unite with him in rebellion. Always you will find victims looking for other people who think they're victims. We see it on the universities. We see it in our streets. Rather than telling people they can be healed, they can be set free, they don't have to live under that condemnation, that's not their identity, they gravitate to a victim mentality. So let's find other victims, and then we'll all go and rebel together. One of the people that this guy is going to elicit into his rebellion is actually Bathsheba's grandfather. We'll read about him later. Looking for people. David's wounded. Let's get them all together. This Absalom spirit has a dramatic spirit to it. It knows how to portray reality, um, how to portray humility, but in reality, it's really an acting spirit. It's a spirit that undermines authority. It plots and forms conspiracies. That's exactly what we're going to see Absalom do. It listens to the voices of unforgiveness. Imagine what would happen in our country if we could just say, you know what? We're going to have national forgiveness for the sins that we have all perpetrated on each other. We're going to forgive and we're going to walk through. Look, could you imagine how our, our nation would be changed? It exploits weaknesses and takes advantage. Everybody has weaknesses. Everyone has blind spots. Everyone has failures. And if we focus on a person's failures, the people that you love in this world that you think so highly of, everybody has something wrong with them. And if all we're doing is looking for what's wrong in people, then we can gather people against even what we would call a good person. 
he's going to do that. It's narcissistic. It's totally focused on himself. This guy weighs his hair. He knows he's the best looking guy in the room. He knows he oozes leadership from how he looks. The people will follow him, but he's going to use that for personal gain. He's amoral. He's not really concerned with righteousness or wrongness of an issue. He just does whatever he thinks is best. It's almost like if you've ever heard that, that, that phrase, the ends justify the means. I can do whatever because this was the bigger deal. And we see that in politics all the time and we hate it. And he has a justified mentality. The ends justify the means. This is a wicked spirit within this young man to his destruction. Now, this is a son of David, a very broken son of David. I'm just grateful that there is a perfect son of David. When you are broken, here's what I would recommend to you. Don't hold yourself up to other people. The Bible says that when we compare ourselves with others, we are not wise. I'm going to say that again. When we compare ourselves with others, we are not wise. But we should compare ourselves with Jesus. When you look into the Word of God, what you're getting is a mirror. And it's reflecting back to you your brokenness. Where you don't look like Jesus. If you say, I know, Pastor Nathan, I've got all kinds of brokenness in my life. Okay, good. That's, that's, that's a great step towards healing. How do you fix it? If you didn't have a good dad, you have a great heavenly father. Let's go look at your heavenly father and see how he corrects and restores and loves. Let's make him our picture of perfection because he is. If you didn't see in your dad a great husband to your mother, then let's go look at Jesus as the perfect husband, the bridegroom. Let's see how he loves. And let's say, Lord, make me look like you. Take everything that doesn't look like you and remove it from me. Let's just look at juxtaposition of, 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 of what we looked at with Absalom, let's look at Jesus. Absalom, he starts everything from a wounded heart, but Jesus forgives the wounds. Where Absalom gathers victims to united rebellion, Jesus actually models submission to the will of God, and he calls others to come and be healed. He's in the Garden of Gethsemane, he's able to say, not my will, but thine be done. Jesus submitted to his Father. This Absalom spirit knows how to portray humility, but Jesus is altogether truly humble. He that was the greatest in the kingdom became servant of all. As Absalom undermines authority Jesus operates under perfect authority. Absalom plots and forms conspiracy. Jesus, he comes with a peacemaking spirit of reconciliation. Absalom listens to the voices of unforgiveness. But Jesus 
quotes the scripture to shut the mouth of the murderous and lying spirit. When Satan came to, to Jesus and he came and, he, and he's going to present a different argument, Jesus shuts the whole thing down by, by just saying, it is written. I know what my father said. Absalom exploits weaknesses and takes advantage. Jesus covers brokenness and shame with healing and new identity in him. Absalom is so narcissistic, he uses his authority for personal gain. But Jesus, his focus is to bring many sons to glory through being the suffering servant. Absalom's Amoral. He's not concerned with the rightness or the wrongness of an issue. But Jesus is the king of righteousness. The Bible says, surely the judge of all the earth will do right. And where Absalom says the ends justify the means, Jesus says, I'm the justifier. I'll make you look just as if you never sinned justified in his name. The question is, are you going to let the Absalom spirit, which I think all of us have a little of, some of us have more, are you going to let that spirit sit within you and destroy you and your family? Or are you going to call it for what it is and say, oh God, you got to heal me. We need a different son of David living in our hearts. Would you bow your heads with me? I'm going to ask our prayer team to come. The number one thing that starts your healing is admitting that you need the Lord to do a work in you. And that is not weakness to any man or any woman. Humility is knowing how much you need God. Do you know how much you need God? Moses wrote that he was the most humble man who ever lived. And people laugh and they go, how could that possibly be that he wrote that about himself? Because he said, I need God more than anyone else in this world. And that is humility. I'm going to just ask that you let the Holy Spirit just kind of do some work on your spirit. We're going to be led. And as we sing the song, I pray that it's not a song to you. I pray it's a prayer for you. If you want to experience some healing today, do you know that God uses the body to do ministry to the body? When you cut your finger and you're bleeding, what does your other hand come and do? It grabs that wound to stop that bleeding. Our prayer team is there to do body ministry to you today, just to help you heal. If you've never given your life to Jesus, all the healing starts right there. We're, we're willing to pray for you. Whatever it is, wherever you're at, but if the Holy Spirit's doing something on the inside of your heart, oh, let the, let the Spirit of Christ be in you. Be healed. Be set free. Be forgiven. Let Him do the work. If you were encouraged by today's talk, be sure to rate us, share with a friend, and hit subscribe on Spotify, iTunes, or wherever you stream your podcasts. Our mission is simple. Come to life, connect to grow, 
Find your purpose, make a difference. Thanks for listening to the Life Church Podcast.